Joining us on the program today, we have uh, Mark Jernigan, president of Jericho, Inc., and David Sykes with the company. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on the program today. Thank you. Great to be here, George. Wanted to give the folks a little update about uh, oil and gas uh, industry and how things are rolling along there in spite of all the things that have been going on over the last uh, couple of years. And especially uh, right now, uh, energy prices are pretty good when we see prices on the New York Mercantile Exchange and uh, things like that. Uh, but there are a lot of things that are contributing to that. So, uh, Mark, why don't you give us a little uh, recap of some things that you're experiencing now with the with the industry. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of um, permits over this last month come up in Grady County mainly. And um, we have about, uh, I think, 10 rigs operating right now in the county. And um, Oklahoma has, I think, about 47. And um, with oil and gas, um, the uh, the price of oil going up right now, I think we're going to see a lot more activity coming in um, because of the, the, the increase in price mm -hmm. there. And, you know, natural gas is also up. And with the uh, winter coming, you know, we'll probably see a lot more, um, more move towards uh, liquids in uh, our drilling area. And that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. Well, we've got an all-time low in Cushing in oil reserves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yes. and of course, last year with between COVID and then, and then it's, you know, for the last nine months, we've seen a decline in, in permitting on federal lands and some, some political things that have caused uh, the industry to kind of take a downturn, and that's caused production to wane, and that's caused the price to rise. Yes. And, you know, which is not good, certainly not good for Oklahoma, and really, it's not good for our country, security-wise, or I mean, from a lot of different positions, you could go, you know, yeah. from that that standpoint right. that, you know, we're being reliant on on foreign oil. Where, uh, you know, two years ago we were a net energy exporter right. and we were self-sufficient, and you know that's all changed now. We are now, uh, of course, we've always imported a lot of our gasoline because we don't have the refining capacity to keep up with our appetite, mm -hmm. and we're seeing, you know, like. I know people complain about super high prices of, you know, gasoline at the pump, which is and isn't related to production locally or domestically because we import so much of that gasoline. And, you know, I don't know how much of that. I know we've got all those, you know, tankers or all those uh, cargo ships sitting off Long Beach. And I'm sure there are tankers sitting offshore, too, that can't get in to, uh, you know, to be unloaded, too. So that's mm -hmm. got to be an issue. And so I, you know, I don't know. I wish I had a magic you know, mm -hmm. you know, crystal ball that could tell us what the future is going to be. But even though a lot of people seem to, I mean, what was it, California said that, uh, I mean, even like uh, weed eaters and lawnmowers all have to be electric by 2024. And, you know, California kind of sets trend. I've not trend. heard that, yeah. You had not heard that, no. yeah. I know it was at, uh, I know we are B meeting last week and had a meeting with the head of the uh, Oklahoma Petroleum, Independent Petroleum Association, and uh, Brooke Simmons, and he was telling me about how, you know, there are some issues going on out there that are kind of bleeding over into, like, federal issues and or at least a mindset. And, I mean, you can just imagine that, that that's just not sustainable for Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how uh, it's kind of a domino effect. I mean, things are sailing along real fine, and then you've got a couple of changes here and there. And you mentioned the uh, backup in the, in the ports out in California, yeah. and there's – no trucks or the the truckers can't get the supplies to deliver to inland and it's just uh, one thing after another it seems mm -hmm. like so 
Well, and the same thing is true with our economy here in Oklahoma. I mean, 25% of the taxes that this state creates come from oil and gas one way or another that supports our, our publicly funded schools, both universities as, as our, you know, public education. Mm -hmm. And that's a difficult situation when you start talking about attacking an industry mm -hmm. that is propping up Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, California. You know, California is like the number two, number three. It kind of vacillates depending on what they're producing. But they're like the number two or number three oil producer in the country. Mm -hmm. And the people out there are completely oblivious to the fact that, uh, that uh, their economy, which is in shambles now, is heavily reliant on the oil and gas industry. And there aren't too many things. Mm -hmm. uh, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, that toothbrush was made of natural gas. Mm -hmm. yep. So there, there are so many things that affect your lives that people right. just don't realize. So if people see the price for oil, and uh, it almost hit $85 a barrel uh, at one, it did, I think, this past yes, week. Uh, so, you know, that may be good for the tax revenue. Is that right uh, oh, for the sure. state? Well, uh, that, but <clears throat> that's going to translate to more production, mm -hmm. more exploration. That means more jobs. That means more taxes. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people you know, will ask me, being on city council, that they'll say, well, gosh, why are we building you know, new hotels here in Chiche? What do we need those for? It's like, well, we've got the sports complex that fills those up. And, you know, we have a lot of oil and gas jobs here. I mean, our official population is around 17,000, 18,000. But I'll bet when we've got good, solid oil and gas production in this area, whether it's pipelines or uh, compressor stations or actual drilling operations, all those hotels are filled with people that are – well, they live here. Yeah, You can't you can't get a room or, uh, Mark, you can't yeah. even find a spot in one of the many RV parks no, that we've can. got. It in, so. yeah, I live across the street from one, and, uh -huh. and it's pretty much full all the time. And, Pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, natural gas prices hit $6 per million BTUs the first yes. time. And, and uh, these are all, the prices are like at seven-year seven highs. Seven-year high, yeah. yes. So, uh, yeah. and that's a pretty good rebound when oil was below zero yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> last summer, which was really odd. Yeah, that was odd. <laughs> yeah, and scary. And scary. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you start thinking about, you know, the, you know, the talk about, you know, the, the national dialogue about, well, we want to get rid of, you know, completely – off of fossil fuels by, uh, you know, 2050. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, what, is, what does that America look like? And, I mean, considering fertilizer is an oil and gas project, mm -hmm. you know, product. Yeah. Oh, farmers uh, are just well, really impacted yes. negatively uh, with that because those prices are out of this world. Yes. I've never seen an electric tractor, so, mm -hmm. you know, or a solar-powered combine. So you know, I, I, like I, said, I just don't know how that looks for food production. I mean, in theory, you know, that's that's great, and and I, you know, the United States has always been a leader. We've always mm -hmm. been out front, and that's a good thing. Yep. So, um, but you know what? It's I don't think it does a whole lot of good for us to live in austerity, um, and and us to give up all the things that that we as you know the greatest nation in the world have, so that uh, the rest of the world. Uh, cannot pay any attention to anything. I mean, I don't know why we should have to pay for everybody, and yep. and we mm -hmm. should have to live in austerity. You know, we should have to do without all these different things. Or we should get taxed for, uh, you know, the use of, of fossil fuels mm -hmm. when China and India, they just don't care. They have mm -hmm. no emission standards on any of their vehicles. Yep. Yep. So, uh, and it's a closed system. I mean, all that smog that they get in California, it gets blown over by the Japanese current. Uh, the Coriolis effect, the, the winds mm -hmm. blow all that pollution from that part of the world. That's why 
Uh, well, so that's why they have such beautiful sunsets. It's because of the smog they have. Well, they didn't necessarily create that smog. Right. The air quality in the United States is better than it has been in 30 years. Because mm-hmm. uh, we're doing a good job here. It's just uh, not so much everybody else. Not only mm-hmm. do they not pay any attention to you know, the so-called Paris Accords or whatever, um, you know, they just they won't pay for it either. Yep. So. so there's been some discussion. Uh, in it, It's so much more... Uh, international now uh, than it ever has because you've got uh, you know you've got the the OPEC members you've got Russia you've got China and everything is is connected at some point these days mm-hmm. it is very much so. and of course Russia's part of OPEC mm-hmm. and yeah and you know what they're we're paying like well, you know the Henry Hub price was what like six six plus mm-hmm. dollars. You know, yep. for natural per thousand cubic feet mm-hmm. of natural gas was at Henry Hub price, which is kind of the price we use here. Well, in uh, Eastern Europe, they're paying thirty-five, forty dollars okay. an MCF for natural gas over there, and that's most of that natural gas is coming out of uh, Russia or the former mm-hmm. Soviet republic somewhere over there. And yeah, it's definitely since we became a net exporter of natural gas, mm-hmm. liquefied natural gas, you know, a few years ago. You know, we became a global player in that, yep. and and it's really difficult. But of course, you know, we can't get pipelines, you know, across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So right, we have to ship it. Yeah, they have to ship it. it has to be right. compressed and liquefied, and then and, and you know, and it, and it boils. Um, natural gas boils at, I mean, like minus oh, one hundred and sixty mm-hmm. degrees centigrade. So I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to keep it really cold right. and really So compressed. we had a bunch of pipelines come through here a few years ago, and yep. so a lot of the natural gas produced in the scoop and stack are now can be shipped directly, basically yes. directly to Houston yes. for yes. processing and things yep. like that, and then uh, turned into liquefied natural gas, right, and then right. shipped overseas. Yep. So yep. right, and that you know, as I said, that's a good thing for our our nation's mm-hmm. economy. I mean, it yep. helps offset our trade deficits with other countries. And, you know, just gives us a seat at the table. I mean, yep. it's it's negotiating power. So, but, I mean, if if our administration chooses to use it. Yes. So, uh, of course, uh, there's haven't heard much about the XL Energy Pipeline lately, mm-hmm. basically because Biden pretty much shut it off yep. after we were, were moving forward in both Canada and the U.S. to mm-hmm. uh, to move some of that uh, product a little bit easier yes. through the two countries. Yep, absolutely. And... I mean, that was, you know, Canadian. And, you know, we get along well with Canada. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at least, you know, I don't, I don't see too many, um, too many Canadians being classified as terrorists. So uh, we, we work well with, with our neighbors to the north. And so uh, not too big a problem there. And so, and, you know, that, that's the other thing is that, you know, the, all the, like we talked about a little bit about OPEC and all the, what's it, 18 nations that are, that are in OPEC. And... You know, the United States is the only country in the world, with the exception of just parts of Canada, but as far as a, an entire country, we're the only country in the world that allows private ownership of minerals. Mm-hmm. So oil and gas is owned by, I mean, the federal government is a large oil and gas mineral owner because of all the public lands, so the federally owned lands. But, you know, that basically means that every citizen of this country is a mineral owner, and you know, right now there's not any permit going permitting going on on those federal lands, but that's kind of what changes the way that we look at oil and gas in this country is because it's owned by 
private citizens because that's the way our founding fathers set this up. So they didn't keep it like it's not the royal family. It's not the government that owns all those uh, oil and gas uh, resources. And, I mean, this is the commercial oil and gas industry started in Titusville, Pennsylvania in 1859. And I I know Mark Stansberry. He's been on our show before. Mm-hmm. And I'll give a shout-out to Mark. And he's the one that kind of put the seed in my head that there's no more American industry than the oil and gas industry the way that it – promoted and fueled our second industrial revolution because you have to have natural resources and energy to have cheap energy for industrialization. And so when you look at the fortunes that have been lost and have been won and the way that those energy moguls in the early days of energy took that income and built railroads with it. And, you know, uh, Henry Flagler, the father of Florida, that started, you know, their, uh, their tourism industry down there. All that stuff happened because he was the other half of Standard Oil with the Rockefellers. And most people don't realize, you know, the history of of how important that is, not just to Oklahoma and Texas and the oil and gas producing states, but our country. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a legacy for every person in this country, every citizen, because every citizen is a mineral owner, even though they may not get royalty checks. Right, right. So let's talk about... uh mineral rights a little bit and i know there's a grady county mineral owners association and uh, that group meets occasionally uh, they do they usually try to meet quarterly and have educational meetings mm-hmm. and uh, i don't i don't know if they're real active right now i know that you know last year covid shut down a lot of things and uh, and we're both active with the national association of royalty owners it has a chapter here in oklahoma and texas and uh, there are 10 affiliate uh, organizations there. We just had our national convention was held in Oklahoma City a couple of weeks ago, and we both attended that and uh, had a good convention. Of course, didn't have one. The last convention we had was the in, virtual or <laughs> well, no, actually, we were having like one day, half day town hall type, mm-hmm. you know, Zoom meetings. But the last time we had a face to face, you know, three day convention was in Pittsburgh in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were going to have one in Oklahoma City last year, but you know that COVID kind of shut all that down. Mm-hmm. And so, but we were managed managed to pull one off this year at the new Oklahoma City Convention Center, which is a beautiful facility, and had a great convention. It was well attended. Speakers, all kinds of speakers. We had great speakers, and on a range of items that are near and dear to the hearts of the people that own our nation's minerals. So royalty owners in particular, but uh, about you know how to how to prepare for that next generation, you know, as far as like, you know, how to set up trusts and probates and how to protect those assets and, and basically how to manage those, manage those assets. And so Mark's been helping with uh, some of the educational programs and uh, it's been reviewing the, the testing system, which is lots of fun. Uh, <laughs> a little facetious there. Yeah. I catch. Well, nobody catch likes that. to take yes. tests. Yeah. <laughs> And so if you, if you think taking a test is bad, you ought to try writing one. You know, so, <laughs> it could be yeah. difficult, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, so are you working with uh, anybody at the state capitol as far as some legislation that might be beneficial for your industry? And what are we looking at there? Well, of course, we're really fortunate in the fact that this area is represented by Dick Lowe. Mm-hmm. And Dick Lowe is uh, a good friend, and he is certainly a good friend to the oil and gas industry. And he's an honest, upfront guy about what he's doing and what's going to be best for 
Oklahoma. I mean, Dick's just a good guy. Mm-hmm. And we talked to Dick fairly regularly. And Mark played baseball with Dick's son. Yeah. And so we kind of have a personal relationship with him, too. There and you so go. He comes to our office, and we sit down sometimes, and and uh, we get phone calls from Dick. So we kind of – and I think he's he's on top of things there. And um, I know that occasionally, you know, through either – not so much through OERB, but through, uh, like, Brooke Simmons with the Oklahoma Independent Petroleum uh, Association, we'll hear, uh, you know, kind of things that are going on. And, of course, they're very – concerned about things nationally right now i think oklahoma you know we have good we have a good oil and gas regulatory body here in the oklahoma corporation commission we have good commissioners and so i think things here are are going pretty well uh legislatively nationally is where um you know the nightmare is so as far as like for our industry but i mean if you really kind of get educated about it it's not just for our industry i mean they're wanting to take us down a road that's going to be bad for everybody. The unintended consequences. The whole economy. Yep. It'll hit everything. I know Senator Paxton is uh, working with the oil and gas companies because uh, there's been a lot of uh, exploration up there in the Tri-City area. And uh, there's people are concerned about uh, the noise and the road mm-hmm. conditions and things like that. So I know that he's working uh, with some of the oil companies to uh, ask them, to help fix the roads and okay. bridges and things like that. And that's a good thing. Most of the companies are willing to do that. And I know OERB has a uh, program for safety corridors on some of these highways that are getting lots and lots of oil and gas traffic. They're doing training for the truck drivers, and they're trying to uh, help pay for marking traffic signals, things of that nature that will help keep our kids safe that are driving on these roads, keep all of us safe. Uh, but some of those areas go through, you know, small towns, close to school zones, and large trucks, um, heavy trucks, mm-hmm. you know, hauling uh, water or hauling mm-hmm. oil, equipment, sand, equipment, yeah. sand. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, but when you kind of look at that, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's a, it's also an indication of our economy. It's just like, you know, prices at the pump. I mean, everybody complains about, oh, gosh, you know, oil is like, or excuse me, gasoline is like, over three dollars a gallon. I'm like going, yep, and mm-hmm. everybody's employed. Mm-hmm. So, but at least you know, I talked to my uh, cousin that lives in California last week, and he said that he his car runs on premium, and he said it was close to seven dollars a gallon. Ouch, man! <laughs> it was overseas. Yeah. It so, was overseas. Yeah. So last year, people enjoyed paying a dollar fifty or less. Uh, per gallon um, at some point. And I don't think people mind paying $3 now. I'm sure there's people that do. Uh, but still, as you mentioned, it leads to jobs, and, and that's really good. But we don't want the price to get back up to necessarily $5 a gallon no, like we, we saw no. a number of Not years ago. Not here. I mean, yeah. and again, it, it's cheaper to live in Oklahoma than course, it is in California. Right. Everything's mm-hmm. more expensive there. Mm-hmm. but And that's not necessarily a, a true indication, but um, it's like I told him. I said, gosh, you know, you need to sell your house in Orange County and move out here to God's country. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's where his job is. So there you go. This company. Well, you can can work remotely, right? Yeah. A lot of people are doing that these days. You know, he was telling me he's having supply issues. And a lot of people, a lot of companies are. He said they had a better year last year than they did this year because they can't get supplies Mm -hmm. that are sitting off Long Beach Harbor. So, yeah, it's just... Right. Like I said, those are problems we don't have here. Uh, and But 
I think we just have to be aware of the fact that, I mean, we all live in this country. We're all in this together. And what happens in one place does affect us. I mean, you know, they're talking about, you know, you see it on the news that you see these empty shelves in, in grocery stores and stuff. And, you know, I, we haven't seen that here in the past few months. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> Yet. That's that's the operative mm-hmm. word there. I mean, those are all things that we could see. And, I mean, it's, it's just all so interconnected, and it is not as simplistic as just saying that we've just got to quit using fossil fuels. I mean, okay, so what is that going to look like, and how do we get there? So give me an answer for that, because, I mean, I don't have that answer. Right. You mentioned earlier about the Oklahoma Energy Resources Board, which is a great group, and I know you've been working with uh, that group uh, quite a bit. Yep, it's a good group. I've uh, been on that board for several years, and I'm the, the sole royalty owner representative to that board. It's mostly made up of, of some of the Oklahoma countries or Oklahoma companies that are at least have offices here in Oklahoma. And, you know, that's a – it's created by a voluntary tax, which is kind of strange. It's a, a voluntary tax on oil and gas production that both the companies and the royalty owners pay. And I say it's voluntary because if you don't want to pay that, you can write a letter at the end of the year, and they will refund that one-tenth of one percent uh, tax on production back to whomever mm-hmm. you know, it was paid to. And they use that money. Fifty percent of it goes to education. Fifty percent of it goes to well site reclamation, which is where they find uh, orphan and abandoned old well sites. So if they can find somebody, an operator, that's responsible to clean up a well site on you know, a farmer's land on the surface that's been orphaned and abandoned, if they could find the operator that's responsible for that legally, they'll make them pay for it and re- restore it. If not, then the OERB will pay for it. And they have spent hundreds of millions of dollars over the 25-year history of OERB um, in reclaiming um, old orphaned and abandoned well sites. And cleaning them up and turning into productive land. Right. Mm-hmm. Plus, they spend uh, a large percentage of their money training teachers and providing them a complete curriculum, both written as well as all the equipment, uh, to uh, teach STEM items for science, technology, engineering, and math in the public school systems. In fact, they uh, – Mark, you'll have to help me here. Um, who was the Oriole? Mr. Dependability, baseball player. Cal Ripken. Uh, I guess it was in 2019. Ask a baseball fan. There you go. That's right. <laughs> Cal Ripken Jr. was in Oklahoma City, and his foundation, along with the OERB, uh, paid for STEM labs to be built in every public school in Oklahoma City. Wow. Nice. So, uh, yeah, that's lots and lots of money. Right. I know uh, in the last couple of years, OERB has provided a number of grants to area school districts to provide some of the supplies and materials that you just talked about. Yep. Pre-COVID, I think it was 2018, mm-hmm. we put $2 million back in. Every school that made any application for that, mm-hmm. uh, if they made an application, they pretty much got some funding based upon um, you know their population and their needs. And so $2 million right back um, you know, into the public school systems. Didn't they so, give some to Chickasha? They did. Chickasha mm-hmm. got a check, yep. as well as so did a lot of other areas. Well, most, most of the Grady County schools did, and many in Cattle County got uh, yes. got some funding yes. as well. So. Like I said every school in the state yeah. had to do was make application to OERB, and they'd get a check and several thousand dollars. And then, like I said, that doesn't – that's in addition to all the training that they do for teachers where they put on – you know, an, an all-day training seminar that's based upon um, 
educationally, whatever grade those teachers are geared toward, and they have primary and secondary uh, educational programs for, you know, again, it's all about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, because we need to make that investment in the school kids here in Oklahoma because we want to keep them here. Right. And, and they're good-paying jobs. There's no doubt about that. They are good Great careers. Jobs. Yes. And uh, get those kids focused early on uh, with the science and tech field to uh, push them toward uh, that area, if yep. that's their interest. Sure. All right, so just before we go, let's talk about, uh, we talk about some of the oil and gas prices and what they are right now. Uh, talk that uh, oil could reach $100 a barrel, maybe. Do you see that happening? or? Uh, well, uh, I, you know, I th- first of all, I think that the oil and gas industry is, is here to stay. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you can't, everything we use in our lives somehow gets touched by oil and gas. I mean, whether it's the energy to produce, you know, to run the paper mills or whatever, it, you know, it's somehow... Right now, we just don't have a reliable energy source to be able to replace oil and gas. So I think for the for the next 30, 40 years, we're going to see oil and gas is going to be here. Mm-hmm. And because of shortages and usage, yeah, I think we could see $100 mm-hmm. barrel oil. Do I want to see that? I'd like to see stability, Yes. which we all, I think everyone in this industry would like to see stability in that. We have never seen stability in the oil and gas industry. I mean, we'll get a few years of it, but yeah. it's always been cyclical. Right. And so wanes and it waxes, and, you know, we see that when the price goes up, now you can afford to go in and drill those, you know, $12 million wells and extract that product and make our lives better with that. But when the price gets down to $40 or less, yeah. yeah I think a, they say, what's the break-even point now? Forty to forty-five dollars a barrel, I think. Yeah. Is that what you've heard, Mark? Yeah, I think maybe fifty-five around here, but overseas it's probably forty-five. You know, OPEC and Saudi. Right. Again, you know, they kind of do what they want because of the regulatory bodies and because yeah. you know they don't have royalty owners that are, you know, holding them to task. So and making sure that that it's produced properly and that it's all level playing field and fair. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see a stability of about you know seventy-five dollars. You know, we could probably make money at 65 even, mm-hmm. and you could see a, an increase. And I think you'd see our economy booming. Yes. And I think we'd see, you know, that we left the mid-continent region of the United States, you know, if you just kind of draw, you know, a, draw lines, you know, that with Texas, either side of Texas is the boundary, and you just draw, go all the way up into the yep. Canadian yep. area. Mm-hmm. They, We'd see there's enough natural gas there, uh, it, the barrel's equivalent of natural gas there, is probably twice what the Saudi mm-hmm. oil fields were in their zenith. So, you know, fuels have moved from, we've seen the transition of fuels from solids, wood, coal, to liquids. And now we're seeing that transition to gases. And, you know, we're, we're blessed with having this huge natural gas fields. Yes. And now the technology to extract that gas. And that doesn't include the hundreds of feet of uh, shales in Pennsylvania, New York, the Utica and the mm-hmm. Marcellus Shale, like you know the uh, the Woodford Shale that we have here and the Barnett Shale they have in Texas, and uh, the Bakken Shales they've got up in, in Dakotas. Uh, the Dakotas. Mm-hmm. And so when we see that price get up to around $65, $70 a barrel, then you're gonna see more extraction in other areas. And you know, North Dakota, they were the number one oil producer there for a few years. And if you talk to people, and we would 
you know, run into people at NARAL conventions from North Dakota, their economy was booming. And they suddenly were building all kinds of other, you know, uh, public health facilities and things of that nature that were being paid for by the taxes from the oil and gas industry. And, you know, Continental uh, Resources, Oklahoma-based company, was the big player up there. But when the prices dropped, they mm-hmm. their operations have, they haven't ceased, but they've slowed way yeah. down. And then there goes the economy as well. David Sykes, thanks for coming today. We appreciate it. Mark Jernigan, thank you guys for coming in and giving us your perspective on the uh, oil and gas industry in Oklahoma and across the world. And thanks to you for tuning into our program this week.